Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford art historian, a lecturer and a broadcaster. Uh, But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm your chief investigator of images. I am here in a very noisy South Bank Centre, looking out across the River Thames. It looks stunning today. It's a sunny day in London. And I'm joined by Peter. Peter, do introduce yourself. Hello. Um, Well, I'm Peter Stanford, and it is indeed an incredibly beautiful day here by the Thames. I am, what am I? I am a writer, broadcaster, sometimes journalist, and I've just published a book about Martin Luther. Uh, called Martin Luther, Catholic Dissident, uh, published by Hodder and Stoughton, came out in time for Easter. This, of course, being the 500th anniversary of Luther issuing the 95 Theses. He didn't nail them to the door, but don't let that spoil a good story. So <laughs> you're going you're to you're debunk that myth in a minute, aren't you, Peter? We'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll be debunking. Um, it is so good to be here with you. I'm so glad that you've agreed to do this. We've just done a talk together, haven't we? Have, we have, and you were very good. Well, so were you. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> so we thought we'd seize the opportunity and do an Art Detective podcast on a... A rather enigmatic but important portrait. We are looking at Northern Renaissance, German um, Renaissance portraiture, and it is uh, Lucas Cranach the Elder's portrait of Martin Luther. And you've picked it because, obviously, it's a good springboard to discuss Luther the man, but we are coming up to this huge anniversary, aren't we? It's a big deal, 500 years. It is. um, An extraordinary thing. And I think one of the problems, certainly in Britain, is that we don't appreciate Martin Luther enough, Mm. uh, because we think we had our own reformation. It was all about Henry VIII and Cranmer and Cromwell and Hilary Mantel. It's all about Anne Boleyn. (laughs) Six wives. (laughs) I mean, Luther only had the one wife, so it makes him a little dull in comparison. And I suppose So I wanted to write about... I mean, I think Luther is very much one of the makers of modern Europe in very simple terms because he broke the stranglehold of the Catholic Church, but also he broke that kind of collective ideal that religion was all about sort of sublimating yourself to the collective, and he talked about the individual, individual conscience and liberty, and that brings us very much up to date. So for all of those reasons... But I suppose this comes back to the portrait. One of the reasons I thought it was very important to write about Luther is that we have a bit of a thing that we don't really like Luther very much. And I think part of that is this portrait. Absolutely. Image, public image. Public. He, of he Martin, looks yeah. so gloomy in it. He's sitting yes. there. He's quite jowly. Um, he's got little beady eyes. He's, his mouth goes down at the corners. Um, he's got this peculiar hat on. And he's still wearing his um, Augustinian monk's uh, cow. Well, he's not a monk. He's a friar. Let's get mm-hmm. it very clear, clear. He's still wearing that. And he just looks rather forbidding. And I think yep. if... 
one of the images of Luther is as dour, dusty, historical, and therefore irrelevant. And this portrait very much contributes to that, so much so that when I wrote the book, I said to the, the publishers, for God's sake, please, can we not have that picture? It's really? On, it's on the cover of every book about Luther. And of course, they came back very sensibly and said, well, the reason it's on the cover of every book about Luther, it is the only simultaneous portrait done of Luther at the time, because Lucas Cranach, the elder, lived in Wittenberg. Wittenberg was Luther's town. Luther taught at the uh, university there. And Cranach, the elder, was the court painter to Elector Frederick the Wise of Saxony. So they were absolute contemporaries, um, and Cranach was a great supporter of Luther. So this is the picture. So in a sense, you're almost starting off by battling against this image. Yeah, well, this is the power of imagery. I mean, well, I was saying the same thing about, we've just been talking about Henry VIII, but indeed. when Holbein defines Henry VIII's physique, that bulking figure yes, and that codpiece, yeah. you know, that is that PR, that is, you know... <laughs> That God, please. <laughs> but that 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 comes to be uh, you know so instantly recognisable. Yeah. Even today, you know, my my five year old daughter knew an image of Henry VIII when she was about three because well, she could just recognise. Well, I was going to say they do the Tudors so often at school. They do they also would, do anyway, the Tudors. Yeah. But you're right, and this really has become the defining image of, of Martin Luther. And, and in many ways, it is just so dour, isn't it? I mean, for a start, the palette is very, very dark. We brined it up on the book cover, just, just to reassure people. We put a bit more orange and yellow in there. Oh, good. <laughs> Play with the original. Uh, but it, yeah, you're right about the date. So the date that this is probably made is um, 1532. It's oil on wood. It's not a huge portrait. It's about um, 33 centimetres high by about 23 centimetres wide. And um, but, but I think just what's so striking about it, it's so, it sums up Germany, the Netherlands, that, that Protestant feeling, yes. doesn't it? It yes. feels Protestanty. Yes. Protestant work. <laughs> Is that a word? Protestanty, yeah, that's a good word. Well, of course, Luther never wanted to be called a Protestant. No. Um, he didn't want to be called a Lutheran either, because he said that was egotistical. He, if he chose a word, he chose evangelical, um, um, was the word he chose. And, and Protestant was a word that was used against him at the Diet of Speyer in 1529, three years before Cranach uh, did his portrait. And they called them the Protesters. The Protestants is where the word comes oh. from. So Luther never wanted to be a Protestant. In many ways, he died a Catholic. Yeah, yes. You were saying this earlier the in the point. talk. That's that's yeah. so, and again, He's that's where the parallels with the Tudors sit as well. Because shaped, they... completely shaped by Catholicism. Yep. All his thoughts shaped by Catholicism, and indeed his Reformation in a, it was an attempt to reform the Catholic Church. So. Um, he sets up in the later years of his life um, a kind of parallel church with the Catholic Church, but he saw it almost as a model for the Catholic Church to follow, not as a new church. That go. almost happens afterwards. But so, so basically, from so the key the key dates for Luther are 1517, 95 theses, which basically are a call for reform in the Catholic Church, particularly around the sale of indulgences, which is the idea of selling places in heaven. Yeah. He said the church couldn't do that, and of course, how did it do it? It did it on papal authority. So he said that was an use of papal authority and then he moves on to say that papal authority really isn't authority at all. So the thing the thing develops and from 1517 onwards he very quickly becomes the most famous man in Europe as the 95 Theses spread. They go viral around Europe. I know you were saying about social media. Yeah. I love this idea because because they were distributed on printed, printed yeah, paper absolutely. as well because we've got painted, we've got the printing press, we've got all this, this all change. All these things happening. Yep. So Luther hands the 95 Theses, which are 95 debating points, they're not 95 academic theses, 95 debating points. <laughs> It would be so boring, can you imagine? And sorry, I mean, obviously you are an academic, I'm sure they would all be fascinating. My thesis is fascinating, Peter, what are you suggesting? Exactly, what about the other 94, though? And um, so he hands them to publish the printers in Wittenberg initially, and they print, basically, they print crude versions of them, crude in the sense of short 
shortened, abbreviated, um, often with illustrations, which brings, brings us back to Lucas Cranach, the yeah. elder and his studio. They did the illustrations to illustrate the point. We're talking about an age of 95% illiteracy. So Luther's message is spread both by kind of hearsay, but also on the basis of a sort of abbreviated version. And actually, a lot of the time, people didn't know specifically what Luther was saying, but they knew that he said the church needed reforming. Uh-huh. And then they saw these images that Cranach um, produced in the, in the, or his studio produced in the pamphlets. And so very, very quickly, he's the most famous man in Europe. And at that stage, there starts to be a demand for portraits. And basically, all the portraits we have in Luther's lifetime are variations on the same theme. Mm. And there's a very early one, which may not be by Cranach, maybe one of his uh, followers, where he looks much more chiselled and charismatic. He has very beady eyes there, but they're kind of, they look like they're glinting in blue. And of course, the point about Luther is the reason he made such a kind of storm was because he was very charismatic. Looking at this image we've got in front of us, he doesn't look <laughs> he anyone, doesn't. You know, like a night out with this man. You think, mm, <laughs> Inspector Lewis is on the telly for a repeat. I'm going to stay in and watch it. I mean, he just, it doesn't look very interesting, but he was charismatic. Okay. He must have been charismatic. Well, he must have been. And this is, again, one of the things we were discussing today because we were talking about prophets, mystics, uh, these, these, these people who've survived down hundreds of years because they've, they've done something spectacular, something important. And, and the thing about Luther, we were saying, of course he's not, he's not a complete anomaly. Nope. He is evolving his ideas on problems within the church out of centuries of, of, of debate and discussion and theology. But he survives and his voice carries down. And you're right, I think he must have had charisma because he changes his pathway through life a lot, doesn't he? He does. And the reason he survives, so in very simple terms, everything that he says theologically to challenge the Catholic Church, other people have said beforehand. Most of the people who said it beforehand uh, either get silenced or get executed, and a, a better form, a Catholic form of silence in, in many ways. Um, the, mo- the notable example being Jan Hus, the bohemian reformer, about 70 or 80 years before Luther, said all the same things, went along to the Council of um, Constance and uh, given safe passage, and then they burnt him at the stake afterwards. because They that, do that, a bit of burning, don't that, they? There's quite a lot of burning going so on. So Luther survived, and one of the reasons he survived, and of course the key point in all of this is um, 1521, the Diet of Worms, which always sounds bizarre in <laughs> English. So Diet was a meeting of um, princes, cardinals, the Holy Roman Empire, Germany being a fragmented jigsaw of states then. So the Diet is when they all meet together. And of course they don't say worms, they say worms. So if we say the Diet of Worms, we might not snigger quite so much about it all. So he goes to the Diet of Worms. I can't say, I'm going to say <laughs> no, worms. Now, you sound, now you're making me laugh even exactly. more. <laughs> okay, goes to the Diet of Worms, 1521. And basically they're saying, recant, recant, recant. Otherwise we will try you as a heretic. He's already been excommunicated and you are going to, basically you'll lose your life. One of the th- he won't recant. He says this famous line, here I stand, I can do no other, echoes down the ages. It's what all men of principle would still, indeed women of principle, would want to say now. Um, but more importantly, the reason they can't burn him at the stake, which is probably what they want to do, is because there are huge crowds outside in the street. And that we know the pamphlets with Luther in, with the chronic illustration, are all circulating in Worms at the time. And they just think, we can't. We can't take this man out because we'll have a riot on our hands well, if we do it. You were saying it's almost like a tweet, tweet yeah. ripple effect. It's very tweety. Uh, very tweety. And, and also that, uh, I mean, I think the imagery, the power of images, the mm. fact that he was, that, that there's this abbreviation of the ideas with, at the start and then the to image. use the visual imagery. Because yeah. people are illiterate. Because people are illiterate. Which, of course, is what the church has always known, which is why churches are stuffed with illustrations, because no one can read the Bible, because actually the Catholic Church at that stage, and until very recently, didn't want people to read the Bible. It was in Latin, so they couldn't. So exactly. the experts 
as we might have heard in the Brexit room discussion, the experts told them what it said. Exactly. It's all, it was all interpretative up until that point. But one of the things Martin Luther wants to do, of course, is give access to the Bible in people's tu- in their own vernacular. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he translates the, uh, the New Testament in 1522, straight after the Diet of Worms. He goes into hiding for about 10 months in the castle at Wartburg, and that's where he starts translating the uh, Bible, the, sorry, the New Testament into uh, German, so people have access to it. And then he carries on with that from the 1530s onwards, and he translates the whole, um, the whole scriptures, Old Testament, everything, into German. And in a sense, he's he's giving people the word of God, mm. and he's empowering them. And it's a, it's an even bigger switch than that because what he is doing is he's saying you don't have to rely on other people telling you what God says. Here it is. You can read it for yourself. Make your own mind up. And from making your own mind up and reading those things come ideas of the individual, of liberty, of conscience. Go forward to the 18th century, the Enlightenment, go forward to the 21st century, even the 20th century, human rights. So he is the begetter of these ideas that we hold dear. He isn't dusty, he isn't boring, he isn't irrelevant, he's not some sort of divisive figure in the small world of Christianity. He is one of the makers of modern Europe, and I'm afraid that portrait does him no favours. <laughs> I, I absolutely love the idea that this artwork is... is uh, is making you angry that <laughs> it doesn't well, present well, him it, but it's still, it's still on the cover of my book and in a sense it is powerful and I suppose what you have to do is play with the image that people have and yeah. say, but it's a misleading image. So we have to go with that image. And what Chronic Studio does, um, there's a whole series of these paintings. He gets jowlier and jowlier as he goes <laughs> on. This one is really interesting. It painted in 1532. Yeah. And he is, although he's wearing the doctor's cap still, um, one of the things, that, the only thing I do like about it is he has a little tuft of hair at the front, which is a little bit playful. It's he like does. a little kiss curl no, almost. No, there's definitely, I mean, there is a, there is a humanity to yeah, it. And a, I mean, in, in terms of it being uh, you know, Northern European Renaissance art, Art. It's incredibly detailed and highly painted. You know, you can see it being in the same tradition as Holbein. As, but if you were you know, casting a drama series now and you needed a criminal, he would be the baddie, not the goodie, wouldn't he? <laughs> if you look at that I face, think so. I think he would be the, he would be the potential murderer in Broadchurch. <laughs> but, um, but but underneath, he's also wearing um, he's wearing the um, Augustinian friar's cowl still. Yes, I can see and what's that. really interesting about Luther? Luther was a very complicated man. So one of the things that he felt is that um, he wanted to get rid of the divide between the laity and the clergy so he wanted us all to be on an equal footing and so he then said well given everyone else marries priests should get married so he um he, that's what he absolutely said and it's what he did himself in 1525 he marries an ex-nun called Katerina von Bora they are wonderfully happy um, it an wasn't ex-nun ex-nun you just slipped that in there right okay so she was a nun priests and, and nuns and of course the catholic church said a priest and nun getting together would produce the antichrist <laughs> Because it's really, it was really tolerant at those at that time. Um, so anyway, they get together, and they have each other, and this is an incredible. It was sort of an arranged marriage almost, and done for doctrine rather than love. But it becomes the great love match. But he carries on until 1532 wearing his monk's cowl. Wow! Because he and the point about my book, in a way, is that Luther was born a Catholic, baptized a Catholic, raised a Catholic. His thinking was Catholic, and he thought he was reforming the Catholic Church. He didn't want to let go of his monk's habit, and he only took it off. Well, obviously, he must have taken it off a few more times because he had six children, but he only took it off in 1532 because people were saying that it was a sign that he didn't mean what he said, yeah. that he was insincere. Well, that so he's still a part of the institution. Yes. But then, I mean, that, that this is again something well, what we was were... that he was a liar, that uh-huh. he was telling people to kind of break all these rules and get rid of the Catholic Church, and yet he was but he was actually himself. doing it himself. So that's why he, he felt he had to take it off, but took it off with great reluctance. Gosh, I mean, I find it fascinating because, again, it, we were discussing this earlier, but, but we do have a tendency to look from the modern backwards. Yeah. 
Yes. But when you see uh, Martin Luther evolving out of the medieval and out of the traditional Christian church of you know, medieval Europe, um, he is a part of an evolution. But you're right, you know, there isn't this sense, I think, that he wants to cut everything that's gone before. He's not a complete radical or did, a complete revolution. He wasn't born thinking he wanted a reformation, didn't even issue the 95 Theses thinking he was going to start a reformation. And he didn't pin them on the door then? No, didn't pin them on the door. So think about it 95 Theses, they're all about three sentences long. How long is that? It's pretty damn long, isn't it? <laughs> think of your door. So we're not talking like the petition on the church door saying, you know, Father's two sources in his sermon sign underneath here we're talking 95 theses it's like a piece of wallpaper that yeah. he had to hang on the door it wouldn't fit <laughs> and even had he tried to put it on the door he would have put it on with wax not a nail right so we, and nowhere 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 in any of the 121 volumes of luther's correspondence his speeches his table talks all of those things is there any mention of nailing at all that comes later that was when people were building up his, his you know the hammer of the catholic church that's it nailing. yeah that's the vision of bang 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 it's, it's bang, on the door. Yes. And it's a very popular image. It becomes, the image of him smashing, banging things on the door um, only becomes very prevalent in about the 19th century because that, that's, that's Lutheranism defining itself as rather kind of rigorous and, and it's also slightly tied up with German nationalism. Mm -hmm. So in a way, Luther isn't a figure in German nationalism because by splitting um, German, the German states of his time between Catholic and Protestant ones, he almost entrenched the division of Germany so it could never be a nation state. Gosh. But when you get to the 19th century and, and Bismarck is around, they decide to, to sort of borrow Luther as a symbol of Germany's uniqueness and cleverness. It's, but it's only then that they do it. Really. And that's it, this sort of reinvention and redefinition that Absolutely. takes place. And, and I mean, very, very interesting that it's a national issue as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right to give it, we, we sort of see the hammering of the, the theses on the door as as Protestantism smashing the established Christian yeah. church, Catholicism. Um, but instead, what it is, is another way of challenging the status quo. And as you say, you know, he, he's he's very specific about the things he's trying to challenge. Yep, absolutely. Indulgences are out. Yeah. Um, Clerical lay divide, um, uh, mass in, the, mass in um, Latin, not the vernacular. Uh, the, the endowment of monasteries, um, people paying to have masses said for dead people, which goes on to, goes back to Rome to fund the building of Renaissance Rome. I mean, in many ways, we should be very grateful mm. that people bought indulgences because we wouldn't have St. Peter's. Actually, terrible, terrible mission. I don't really like St. Peter's. I much. don't either. Hey. I'm so glad you said that. Now, if anyone's listening to this, I'm sure people are. <laughs> Don't bother going in St. Peter's, but you have to go on the Vatican website about three months before you go to Rome. Book yourself a tour around the Scavi, S-C-A-V-I dot V-A. The underground thing. Oh have you my been gosh. around them? Aren't it they amazing? It's the most incredible yep. experience of this my is, life. This is what St. Peter's was built on. It was the catacombs. Yeah, yep, built on top of it. And you can hear people walking above, and you're walking around there. So that's much more interesting than St. Peter's. So... Anyway, we're, getting, you could, we're going you know, You could not be more right. You could not be more yeah. right. Because I get cold walking into St. Mm. Peter's, the Vatican, because I actually feel it is such an explicit display of wealth. And actually, you're right. You know, it is built up on the fabric of so poor, much wealth, money. The but the poor. And everybody had to pay yep. their penny to Peter. You yep. know, it had, to be, it had to be supported that way. Yeah. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But we have got this sense of, of contrast, haven't we? Because what you get with the granite portrait, to me, it is so muted. Um, medieval Christian art is is gold, Vibrant. it's red, yeah, it's not, blue, it's it all these colors. This is deliberately not. And in that way, I see it as quite a, di- a departure in mm. terms of art, isn't and it? And it's also not making him look his best. I mean, but, frankly, we would want our portrait- portraitist to make us look our best. It's interesting, because if you look at some of Cranach's other works from that time, so the very famous one is in the, um, the Stad Church in Wittenberg, which is the town church, which is where Luther did most of his preaching. So um, after he dies, um, Cranach is um, uh, commissioned to do this vast altarpiece. Very, very, very important to say Luther didn't take art out of churches. He mm. liked art in church. Go into a Lutheran, Lutheran church nowadays and you could be in a Catholic church. They're really not that different. So huge, and here we've got it in front of us, this huge triptych with a padella underneath. Mm-hmm. So the triptych, um, the central panel, so what Luther, one of the things that Luther changed in Catholicism or challenged was he said there was no um, gospel justification for, well, he said five of the seven seven um, sacraments that Catholicism has. The only two he wanted to keep were Eucharist and baptism. Uh, and he was he was a bit iffy about confession. He quite liked confession himself. <laughs> you so, were saying he, he, uh, he used to just confess for some two, three yeah. hours at a time. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, how many sins can he have done? He was in a monastery. Oh, the poor guy. I mean, we're not going to run through the possibilities. But anyway, <laughs> but people, use your imagination if you're listening. Um, so in the middle, we have um, Cranach puts Luther. This is, this is the Eucharist one. So communion, the first communion union the bread and wine at the last supper. Well this is extraordinary because yeah. it, in, in format it's, it sort of looks like the philosopher's table doesn't yep. it? You've got, their, you know, they're in a symposium, they're sat around and it is the twelve apostles is. but with Luther. With Luther sitting there. But interestingly Luther is not portrayed as Luther normally looks. He's portrayed um, as with a with very heavily bearded. Yeah. Now, Cranach painted this portrait of Luther with the beard in 1522. So, dice of worms, there I've said it, mm. um, 1521. Risk of him being condemned, but he wasn't. He got away with it. And so, what happens in 1521, he's then spirited off to um, Wartburg Castle for his own protection. And in order to go out and not be spotted, mm. he grew a beard and he called himself Junker. I think you say, well, let's call, we call him Junker George in English, but I think in um, German you say Georg, which obviously has slight uh, connotations. Um, and so bizarrely, Cranach puts him round with the, 12, the other 12 apostles, including Judas, who's sitting there with his, um, with his bag of loot next to him. Um, he's sitting there with his beard on, like he's almost there in disguise. So it's almost like um, uh, Cranach is transposing Luther back. Luther would have had none of that in his lifetime. Someone once said, you're like, you're like an extra apostle. And he said, I'm a stinking afterthought. Oh. Crazy use of but you know, this is 
this is borderline. I mean, to, to introduce, the, to, to say that this is sort of breaking, because the other thing, of course, he's angry with is the cult of the saints and relics. Yep. And this idea that um, people and saints are intercessors between the divine yep. and the human. But this is borderline heretical. Abs- because they're putting him Luther in. Luther would as, hate it. Yeah, he would have absolutely yeah. hated it. Yeah. Making him a 13th apostle. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they didn't even take an apostle away. I mean, you, yeah. could, you could vaguely say we've got... because, But of course, importantly, Judas was at the Last Supper. Well, that's it. So Jesus knows that Judas is the betrayer and he includes him in the Last Supper. So every Catholic priest who turns people away from the, the Eucharist because they haven't done the right thing, think what Jesus would have done in that situation. <laughs> That's another subject. That's another one. Yeah. And then over on the um, on the right, is it? Can no, I just say before yeah. we leave that scene yeah. as well? What's uh, what again really strikes me about that is this northern uh, northern Renaissance yeah. tradition of and putting Wittenberg landscape and, in, and, and there's the Wittenberg background, Wittenberg yeah. Castle and there's the, the white cloister, the black yeah. the black cloister, which is actually white, bizarrely. Yes. <laughs> Because these things don't work, yes. But it's absolutely. a beautiful bit of painting, actually, yeah. with the with the, the perspective in it's the background. Not, it's not there. Jerusalem, definitely. It's definitely not Jerusalem. It's so, definitely Germany. So yeah. to the right, we have a confessional scene, which is featuring one of Luther's lieutenants, um, and that's that's relatively interesting confession. Luther. Um, there is that line, of course, in the Gospels that Jesus says to Peter, those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Um, but, but Luther said the Catholic Church had turned that into a system and it shouldn't really turn it into such a system. So he was a bit ambiguous around confession. Mm. But anyway, there's, there's Cranach slightly going beyond what Luther might have done on the right-hand side of the, of the triptych. And over on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. we have... Oh, baptism! Melanchthon, who was Luther's sort of... Uh, Luther's kind of sidekick, uh, keeper of the flame... Uh, Keeper of the flame, I yeah. like that. Yeah, well, he was the one who made up the story about the nailing of the 95 Theses. He's right. the first one who did it. So he was much younger, very clever, helped Luther refine things. And Melanchthon is here baptising, because, of course, Luther said baptism was absolutely still a sacrament. Um, and, but bizarrely, Melanchthon <laughs> wasn't a priest, so he couldn't have baptised anybody. It's a bit of poetic licence going on there. And oh. from memory, I think that is Katerina von Bora, a.k.a. Mrs. Luther. Mrs. There, Luther, with her back to us. Uh, no, I think she's there in the front. There, oh, no, isn't she's she? there. She's oh, there in the front, there, isn't she? That's her, that's one of the portraits. Woman. Handsome woman, indeed, looking on And is that, is that a baby just climbing out of the... Yeah, the baby's in Melanchthon's hands. He looks like he's about to drop it. It does, so it's, it does it's, it very, very it's not great. dodgy And then underneath the, um, underneath the triptych, we have the padella, yeah. um, which, of course, is Luther said the sacraments were important, but what was even more important was preaching. Exactly. And this is Luther preaching. This is Luther preaching in the, um, in the Stad Church in uh, Wittenberg, in, in the pulpit, mm reaching out and again he's in his brown Augustinian friar's robes dark brown and the congregation are opposite him but between the two is the crucified Christ Mm -hmm. and Luther's great revelation the thing that you know that very confusing phrase that they use for Luther's thought justification by faith alone and we have no idea what that means in the 21st century people who aren't specifically brought up in the Lutheran tradition and what it means it is about God's judgment in death and how God is going to judge you is he going to be angry is he going to punish you is he going to send you to hell which of course is what late medieval Christians believed and Luther says no because he sent his son to die on the cross for us that is the symbol of God's mercy he liked the word mercy more than he liked the word love but it's also the symbol of God's love and through God's love by allowing his son to die on the cross for us that we there is the possibility of salvation which again is a word we don't necessarily understand but what it means is eternal life it's Mm. life after death Mm. so that is the most important image for for Luther is the crucifix and, and the death of Christ there that sacrifice on our behalf and there he is preaching about it so it sums up well the triptych and the padella between them they sum up Luther's views and then go a little bit beyond it as well so it's so amazing. so Cranach is using a little bit of uh, uh, artistic license but also there. just so successful 
synced. Cranach has been so clever as an artist to reduce it to these set pieces. Yep. But that one in particular, that really, really strikes me because, again, it's, it's one of the things you, you sort of put at the heart of the Reformation is that it's about getting back to the basics. Yeah. Uh, that idea of uh, uh, intimate connection with Christ, with his suffering and with the salvation that that Absolutely. offers. And, and the opening up of discussion, of theological discussion, it's not just um, priests or monks uh, speaking in Latin to each other about things they understand, but that this is sharing, it's moving through the idea. I think the composition there is so clever, putting that, that, such, that seminal symbol of Christianity, Christ on the cross, in the middle between the audience and the preacher. And it's, also, and it's also Luther saying, I'm not the most important one. So Luther was not an egomaniac in that sense. I think he would have disapproved of the whole triptych generally. Um, but he, he would have approved, really, of himself being put in the pulpit to one side. It is, about, it is about Christ and Christ's suffering. It is about God. It's about the individual standing naked before God at the moment of their death. And not turning around, as, as Catholicism said at the time, and still to an extent continues to say, that it's about what you've done in your lifetime. It's about these good works that you've done, whether you've been to Mass every Sunday, whether you've confessed all your sins, um, whether you've been before relics, whether you've done well, all you of these things. You described it as a tick box, didn't yeah. you? Like a list yeah. where you've done this, this, that, this, that's this, what they going to heaven. To do. Yeah. Exactly. And then you got, you got into heaven. And Luther said, it's essentially a mystery. It's a mystery rooted in God's mercy, and God's mercy is, is rooted in Christ's sacrifice. I mean, I think in the 21st century, we're very very, very, very unkeen on mystery. Everything mm -hmm. has to be solved, really. So, you know, we have scientific formulas for everything. And people say, well, I can't be a Christian because I don't believe all that resurrection nonsense. And then some Christians try to get round it by saying, oh, well, Jesus was a good man, said good things and died. Let's just stick with that. And I think what Luther does is he tries to simplify without dropping the inconvenient bits. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge to us all now still. Well, I think we were having this conversation earlier, weren't we, Peter, about uh, the fact that I teach art history. And so much of Western art is in you know, religious art. Yeah. And actually, what uh, religion as a word has become uh, a tricky subject. Slightly toxic. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're here at, at a conference that's called Beyond Belief. And, and there is this suggestion that if you use... It's belief and beyond belief, just to be fair. To them. Well They're allowing some of us to have belief, but belief lots, lots, of, lots, of, <laughs> lots of people have got past, but not me, just to be clear. <laughs> but there is definitely this sense in which, um, you know, we almost treat people who have religious beliefs or yeah. religion in their lives yeah. as ignorant, you know, not enlightened. Mentally ill, I think usually is the way we think about people. And I think well, one, of the, one of the things that people have looking at Luther, Luther has these great highs and lows in his life. And I think famously, 1959, Eric Erickson, the, the great sort of, one of the great fathers of psychoanalysis, said this was all to do with Luther's kind of screwed up psyche about mm. his father, that he attacked, the, um, he attacked the papacy and the patriarchal Catholic Church as a way of getting back at his dad. What was that quote you gave me about, that you said about his dad? His dad beat, beat him, what was it? Oh, uh, oh gosh, you put me on the spot now. Oh. Um, be, be, beat, him, beat him for, for taking a nut, is it? Yeah. And um, made me feel cold against him. Cold against yeah, him. Cold and against that that him. broke his and relationship. But really important. He's got father issues. He's, got, he's definitely got father <laughs> issues. He's slightly got mother issues. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you can overdo it. And I think there is a temptation nowadays that people have to imagine that that having a religious belief suggests that you're somehow, well, slightly living in la-la land. Mm. That, that's the kindest they'll mm. go. Um, and obviously it isn't logical in lots of ways. Um, but I think, I think sometimes standing in front of great religious works of art mm. like this actually makes you think that it probably isn't as 
as foolish and as mad as people might think it is. Well, and of course, one of the shames we have nowadays is no one does religious art anymore. That's it. So, you know, there's a new biography out at the moment about David Jones, who is wonderful. I love David I Jones. I love David oh Jones. Oh my gosh, have yeah, we just got that one, in common one, then? Just I adore wonderful, him. wonderful. And so people do do religious art in the 20th century. Some of them are still doing it in the 21st century, but it's really, really on the margins. But if you go back into any kind of historic yeah. setting, it's right there in front of you. So just look at it and have a think about it and think, Perhaps they weren't mad. Perhaps well, there's something in this. And I suppose this is the point of view that I come at it from, which is that religion is part of cultural context. Religions define peoples and groups and geographical regions. And we have this sense now that in the West, uh, maybe it's a bit of a dirty word, but actually uh, the majority of the world is still deeply religious. There's a lot of people who are still very much engaging with these ideas. And to dismiss them is to do so at our peril. Uh, we've got this sort of great sense of, um, what were we saying earlier? It's sort of arrogance almost of yeah, our so enlightened so scientific we're, we're, we're secular so tradition exactly. yeah uh, and yet you know you are actually what, what you're really losing as well is access to these works to be able to understand them and decode them i find i find them fascinating for their symbols for their meanings for their messages but also for what they tell them tell us about the minds of the time absolutely uh, as, as a way into what and because so many people were, were illiterate i mean you're almost doing better to look at the images that we use to exactly. convey messages than the actual words because most people couldn't read the words of course luther brought them into german so more people could but the images are absolutely crucial and one of the the one of the blessings of having a Catholic upbringing, I and mean, I went to a Christian brother's school, so it wasn't, you know, lots of things were unpleasant about it, oh. but one of the blessings of it, of it is, is that you actually know what these stories are. They yeah. are just somehow there inside you, and you yeah. can look at things and think, oh, yeah, I know what that story's about. Yeah. And I just think we've, we've, we've lost all of that, and we, we are losing something. We are absolutely well, losing Well, I, I think very much, uh, I, I agree with that completely from a cultural point of view. I mean, I find it very hard now with students who, who simply don't know any of the basics when I'm trying to explain to them what's going on in you know, a thousand years of art history um, most of the access points are being denied now um, so no it's, it's lovely to be able to unpack this with you but also just going back to that idea of the power of images that that, that image of Martin Luther has come to define him and now it's his 500 year you know, celebration of the thesis but actually you know it's so hard sometimes to disassociate an idea from an image. Absolutely. And that has become so uh, ingrained as him. Partic particularly because these were painted at the time. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose the only, well, the two things you can do about it, one is to try and subvert the image and get people to, to, to I mean, you know, he looks quite enigmatic, so I suppose we could try and work out what's going on behind it. So get beyond the image. Don't, don't ignore the image. Mm. Use it and work with it. So it is on the cover of the book, even though I didn't initially want it to be there. But I think the other thing to bear in mind about that, about power of images, and um, there are 80 million Lutherans around the world. Um, uh, about 30% of them are in Germany and Scandinavian countries. Uh, last year, in preparation for the 500th anniversary of Luther's Issuing, issuing, not nailing, yep. issuing the 95 theses. And Playmobil, the kids, the kids' company, they put out a, um, a Playmobil model of Luther, and it's Luther in the funny hat, the black gown, um, uh, holding the Bible and a pen in his hand. And it is the best-selling ever, 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 ever Playmobil figure in Germany. Um, it sold something like 75,000 um, uh, uh, copies of it. Uh, it was sold in the first 24 hours. So My there is a new, more God. positive image. So let's, let's go for our 21st century image as well. And he's smiling on oh. Luther in that one. He it. looks quite cuddly. So, um, so let's, let's move from our contemporary image <laughs> or move from our Luther's contemporary image to our 21st century contemporary image. Put the two together and you get something valuable. Oh, that is the best place to leave this. I'm going to now forever try and just associate him with the Playmobil image. <laughs>
This has been such a pleasure, Peter. I've no, absolutely loved I've it. Thank it you too. so thank you. much. Thank you. And um, yes, do, Art Detective listeners, do look out for Peter's book. What's the title again? Martin Luther, Catholic Dissident, published by Hodder and Stoughton, available from all good bookshops oh. with, with the portrait we've been discussing on the cover. So you get it's a double whammy. Oh, there you go. You get that bonus. There you go. Thank you so much. And thanks all for tuning in. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Yanina Ramirez. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe? You can go to historyhit.com slash artdetective. Lots more exciting things to come in future weeks, but thank you again, Peter, for a wonderful discussion. Pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.